it never was. And since I never do anything, even appear on television, without doing my homework, I kept sufficiently current with the case to know what was going on. Because I am a writer of true crime books, during the past year many people suggested to me that I write a book on the case. My invariable response, without giving a second of reflection, was no. The first time I felt the faintest glimmer of interest was when my editor, Starling Lawrence, suggested I do a book based on how I would have prosecuted the case. But my editor was persistent, and he suggested I write not an all-encompassing book on the case, but a book with a narrow focus. Why did the prosecution lose this case? The book could be short, he said, almost an informal discussion and personal conversation with the listener in this case, an extension of the interviews I've given on the case over radio and television. Because I was just about completing my drug book and update, and because I feel very confident I know why this case was lost, I agreed to do the current book. The listener should know that this audio version of my book will not be a detailed recitation of all the facts of the case or the testimony and evidence at the trial. I assume the listener of this tape, if interested enough to buy it, is already reasonably familiar with the case. In terms of heinousness and brutality, on a scale of one to ten, these murders were a ten. A veteran LAPD detective, one of the first officers to arrive on the scene, said, It was the bloodiest crime scene I have ever seen. How did it come to pass that someone we know, not believe but know, committed these two savage murders, is now out walking among us? enjoying life with a smile on his face. That's what this audio version of my book is all about. This tape sets forth five reasons why the case was lost, but even these five can be distilled down to two. The jury could hardly have been any worse, and neither could the prosecution. In fact, as bad as this jury was, if the prosecution had given an A rather than a D-minus performance, discussed in chapters 4 and 5, the verdict most likely would have been different. Let's not forget that even with a dreadfully poor prosecution, in the first ballot, which the jury took within an hour after it commenced its deliberations, two of the jurors, a black and a white, voted guilty. Even before I saw any of the jurors or heard or read what they had to say, I felt this way. And in listening to the Simpson jurors in post-trial interviews and reading a book jointly written by three of them, my feelings in this respect have been strengthened. I got no sense that their state of mind back in the jury room had been... Even though O.J. is guilty and we like O.J., we blacks have been discriminated against by whites for centuries, so let's pay back Whitey and give O.J. a couple of freebies. I didn't sense that, nor do I believe it for one moment. What I saw was jurors who, one, clearly did not have too much intellectual firepower, and two, were biased in Simpson's favor, most likely from the start. But a powerfully presented case and summation, in which you put bibs on the jury and spoon-feed them, can virtually always be counted on to overcome both of these problems. And this jury wasn't quite as dense as some have felt. In post-trial interviewing, nearly all have proved to be fairly articulate, two having college degrees. The only kind of jury you can't turn around would be one who was determined to let Simpson get away with these murders, even if he or she had no doubt at all Simpson was guilty but it would be an extremely rare occurrence for even one juror to have this attitude, much less all twelve. If the case had been properly prosecuted, not only would a conviction have been likely, but any hung jury would almost assuredly have been no worse than 10-2 or 9-3 for conviction. All of the above, of course, presupposes Simpson's guilt for these two murders, but about that there can be no doubt. As I said in a Playboy magazine interview before the trial commenced, no matter the outcome of the trial, O.J. Simpson is guilty. There can be no doubt in the mind of any reasonable person. 
In fact, the question in the Simpson case has never been whether he is guilty or not guilty, but, given the facts and circumstances of this case, whether it is possible for him to be innocent. And the answer to that question has always been an unequivocal no. In all my years, other than in cases where the killer has been apprehended during the perpetration of the homicide, I have never seen a more obvious case of guilt. To distill this case down to its irreducible minimum, and temporarily ignoring all the other evidence pointing inexorably to Simpson's guilt, if your blood is found at the murder scene, as Simpson's was conclusively proved to be by DNA tests, that's really the end of the ballgame. There is nothing more to say. And in this case, not only was Simpson's blood found at the murder scene, but the victim's blood was found inside his car and home. I mean, to deny guilt when your blood is at the murder scene is the equivalent of a man being caught by his wife in flagrante with another woman, and saying to her, quoting comedian Richard Pryor, Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, is the genetic material found in all human cells that carries the coded messages of heredity unique, with the exception of identical twins, to each individual. DNA, then, is our genetic fingerprint. Each of the approximately 100 trillion cells in a human body contains 23 pairs of chromosomes, one of each pair coming from one's father, the other from the mother, which contain DNA molecules. In criminal cases, DNA can be extracted from samples of blood, semen, saliva, skin, or hair follicles found at a crime scene, and then compared to DNA drawn from a suspect to determine if there is a match. DNA testing is a new forensic science, first used in Great Britain in 1985 and in the United States in 1987. DNA tests on all five blood drops leading away from the slain bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman and three bloodstains found on the rear gate of the crime scene show that all of this blood belonged to Simpson. Two DNA tests were used, PCR, polymerase chain reaction, and RFLP, restrictive fragment length polymorphism. The PCR test is less precise than the RFLP, but can be conducted on much smaller blood samples as well as samples that have degenerated degraded because of bacteria and or exposure to the elements. One of the five blood drops had sufficient markers for an RFLP test and showed that only one out of 170 million people had DNA with these markers. Simpson's blood did. The richest sample was on the rear gate, and an RFLP test showed that only one out of 57 billion people had those markers. Simpson was one of them. In other words, just on the blood evidence alone, there's only a 1 out of 57 billion chance that Simpson is innocent. 57 billion is approximately 10 times the current population of the entire world. To elaborate on the irreducible minimum mentioned earlier, there are only three possible explanations other than guilt for one's blood being found at the murder scene, and all three are preposterous on their face. One is that Simpson left his blood there on an earlier occasion. But how can one believe that on some prior occasion Simpson bled, not just on the Bundy premises, but at the precise point on the premises where the murders occurred? In fact, so far-fetched is this possibility that even the defense attorneys, whose stock and trade during the trial was absurdity, never proffered it to the jury. Not only was Simpson's blood found at the murder scene, but four of the five drops of Simpson's blood were found just to the left of the killer's bloody shoe prints, leaving the murder scene. If there is someone who isn't satisfied even by this, I would suggest that this tape is perhaps not for you, that you think about pursuing more appropriate intellectual pursuits, such as comic strips.
The second possibility is that Simpson cut himself while killing Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown in self-defense. That is, either Ron or Nicole, or both together, unleashed a deadly assault on Simpson, and he either took out a knife he had on his own person, or wrested Ron's or Nicole's knife away and stabbed the two of them to death. This, of course, is just too insane to talk about. Again, even the defense attorneys, who apparently possessed the gonads of 10,000 elephants, never suggested this possibility. The third and final possibility is that the LAPD detectives planted Simpson's blood not just at the murder scene, but to the left of the bloody shoe prints leaving the scene. This is not as insane a proposition as the first two, but only because there are degrees of everything in life. It is still an insane possibility, and if any listener is silly enough to believe that the LAPD detectives decided to frame someone they believed to be innocent of these murders, that is, Simpson, and actually planted his blood all over the murder scene, and of course planted the victim's blood in Simpson's car and home, again, this audio tape is not probably for that listener. This tape is for people who are very angry that a brutal murderer is among us, with a smile on his face, no less, and want to know how this terrible miscarriage of justice could have occurred. In any event, a thorough discussion of the defense's allegation of an LAPD conspiracy to frame Simpson and why such a charge is absurd is in chapters 4 and 5. Let me point out to those who believe in the possible existence of either of the aforementioned three innocent possibilities for Simpson's blood being found at the murder scene that the prosecution only has the burden of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, not beyond all possible doubt. So it isn't necessary to have all possible doubts of guilt removed from one's mind in order to reach a conclusion of guilt. Only reasonable doubts of guilt have to be removed. Of course, in this case, no doubt remains of Simpson's guilt. In discussing the five reasons why the Simpson case was lost, the listener should know that I have very little good to say about anyone associated with this case because of either their offensive conduct